This week on the pod, we talk the Alan Richardson decision, look at how your team fares against top eight opposition, and throw up our most intriguing left field trade ideas, while Christian Jolly from Champion Data breaks down all things meters gained. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Matt Walsh, and I'm joined, as always, by Neil Seawang. How are you going, Neil? I'm very well, mate. Yourself? Uh, not too bad. Big week in footy. Um, Jake Michaels, what was your highlight from the weekend? Well, my highlight has actually come on Tuesday with Alan Richardson leaving. And I'm, I'm disappointed that he's, he's gone because I think he might have been treated Not a little taking bit pleasure unfairly. In. But I'm glad Brett Ratton's getting another another chance to prove himself. But what I'm pleased about is the fact that yet another one of your predictions <laughs> has just failed enormously. <laughs> you haven't even let me introduce uh, Christian from Champion Data. How are you, by the yeah, way? Yeah, I'm good. Now back to you. No, please. Continue to stick the boots in, Jake. Well, what was your prediction at the start of the year again? Uh, I said that no coach would be fired. Uh, and I would like to say that just the one has been fired. I don't, Richo, apparently, from all reports, is, it was left on his own accord, well, as did Brad Scott at North Melbourne. Brennan Bolton Do you walk out, do you walk the out if, the, if you're not you know, under the gun? Um, I'm going to deflect this by saying that when we did discuss the Saints a couple of weeks ago, I did say that uh, Richo would probably read the tea leaves at some point uh, and exit St Kilda. So I'm going to take that little win, even if I can't take yeah. the big win from the uh, prediction for the start of the it's year. Still not as bad as the Mason Cox to be. He looked, a, he looked to be all a right. <laughs> I, that was he massive. was instrumental in the pies. He, win. he actually was. Yeah, Jake good. and I were talking off air how well Buckley coached on on Friday night. Really drew the football towards Cox and Mycheck and didn't let Barris and, and McGovern intercept Mark, which is a hallmark of their their style. So I was really impressed with with Collingwood and also. also couple of massive wins with, with Essendon getting over yeah. the line um, and the Brisbane Lions as well, um, you know, taking a bit of physical punishment from Port and, and coming out well on top. All topics we will touch on later in the podcast, but it is time to get stuck into the first segment. It's time for three on three. Uh, this is a segment where we spend three minutes on three topics, but we get the feeling it might go a bit longer than this today. Uh, considering the Richo developments, Jake... Well, it's never um, gone longer than three minutes before, <laughs> No, never. Sometimes we just stretch over, don't we? When we first had our first ever podcast meeting, I think the idea of having three on three was such a great idea, and then we found out pretty quickly that uh, things take time to discuss. Uh, but we'll get stuck in straight away. In fact, I'm going to throw the question straight to you, Neil. Was Richo hard done by when all things are said and done? I, I don't think he was hard done by when you look at his results over uh, his six-year period and the fact that the trend was going downhill from, from a couple of uh, quite decent years that he had early on. Um, I think I think the Saints have done better than a lot of people would have assumed this year with considering the list they've got, considering the injuries they've had. So I think that his, his cards were probably marked unless they produced something remarkable and, and made finals. But... I think that he's had a he's, he had a long tenure there to try and make his mark, and if I was a Saints fan, I'd I'd want a fresh start. Jake? Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I think I said a few weeks ago when we when we when he was under pressure at that time, and I kind of said, well, I felt like he came into the year, and everyone was like, well, as you say, unless there's something remarkable, they make finals or they or they go close. And it's kind of like everyone had sort of almost given up on him, and that's got to be tough when you're a coach and you kind of know that it's like. Do something remarkable and unrealistic, or you're mm. gone. Yeah, I'm mean, without harping on what we discussed a few weeks back. That he was kind of backed into a pretty um, impossible task, really. Mm. When when uh, Simon Lethlean and, and the St Kilda hierarchy kind of said he needs to make finals, yeah. he's never going to make it. And, and didn't they the say list. like a year or two ago we, we need to be making top four? Yeah, I and mean, not with this list and no. the injuries that he's had. I mean, you, been, and you yeah. can't foreshadow stuff uh, like that which has happened to Jack Stephen uh, either. Robertson, uh, Carlo. Uh, the list goes on and on. So, I mean, I think ultimately he is pretty stiff. 
Um, but as you say, I think the body of work over six years probably probably is enough, Christian. Yeah, so looking at that, that body of work, so uh, there's been 83 coaches to coach at least 100 home and away games, and he had the sixth worst winning percentage of oh. those 83. So he, he had a winning percentage of 34.7%. Um, the most recent coach that low was Robert Shaw, um, who had a 34.6% winning percentage, and I think he stopped coaching Fitzroy in 96. And so, he's looking- the, so he's the worst coach or has the worst coaching record Since- in 24 years. Yeah, in the last year, twenty years, you know, yeah, even yeah. go back for almost pretty. forty years before that. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, as you were talking about, the the results just weren't getting better. So they won four games in a row um, in the middle middle stage of the two thousand seventeen. Beat Richmond, the eventual premiers, by sixty seven points. Right. In That's right. Absolutely flogged in the first half. Yeah. yeah, and and since then they've strung two wins in a row, only three times since then. So he hasn't got that sort of yeah, that conti- continual run of wins and victories to keep it. Keep him going. Jake, uh, Brett Ratton to take over as the caretaker. Uh, you said you were quite happy about that. Uh, you, you quite enjoy what Brett Ratton does. You think he can bring uh, a renewed vigour to the Saints and do what uh, Reece Shaw and David Teague has done at the Blues as caretaker? I think so. I, I, look, I, I was really impressed with what he did um, when he was at the Blues. And I really think he can coach. I think he's a smart guy and I think he's, a, he's a, uh, the kind of coach that players like. And I'd like to see him get another crack at it because we see it happen quite a bit where, where coaches... Might start coaching a little bit too early, and then they and then they have a few more years, and it sort of clicks again. Mm. I think he can be a great coach. Whether he whether he gets the position next year or, or goes to goes somewhere else, I think he's he could have a nice. What have we got left? Six games. So it's a nice little body of work there. Neil, if his um, if if the last six games are much improved for the Saints, and uh, North and Carlton sort of continue with their strong form lines, is it beyond the realms that we see that? Three caretakers take on the full time gig next year. Uh, not being the, oh, I'm not too sure about Teague as, as much as his results um, have been really positive. Uh, just for some of the the story or the words you've heard come out of the Carlton hierarchy, um, I've actually strangely enough got more confidence that Ratton might be um, head coach over Teague straight out of the box. Yeah, straight out of the box for next year because um, he's, he's obviously got brought in. I, I had a feeling as soon as he was brought in that he was almost there as a security in case Richardson doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't do a great job. You've got someone there with senior experience who was probably a little bit harshly done by at Carlton and then he's done a, a further apprenticeship under Jake's mate Alistair Clarkson and he's probably got a good, well-rounded coaching <laughs> experience now. A lot yep. of practical know-how from a few different clubs. So I think I, I wouldn't be surprised. Coaching if, his own team as well, yeah, the exactly. old uh, adage. Yeah, so I think he's he's every chance to be in the, in the seat next year. So I'll throw out a question to the table. Uh, if you are a prospective coach um, looking at a new gig for next year, which list do you prefer out of the Saints, the Roos and the Blues? It's, that's that's a tough question. They, they're all... I mean, I think long-term Carlton. Their building blocks are really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I like North's list. I think it, it gets... A lot of people will criticise it for being almost not quite um, top-end, not enough young top-end talent. middle ta- kind of... Yeah, yeah, but I think there's maybe more young young talent there than a lot of people think. So I reckon in the short and medium term, I'd, I'd like North's list. So just looking at the three teams' sort of experience profile across the season of the selected 22 players, so North selected 22 average about 104 games experience each week. Carlton have been at 80 points and St Kilda at 69. So I know injuries have played a big part in that for St Kilda, but if you're looking at those three clubs... Uh, even on the weekend, they had 74 games experience across their 22. Carlton were up at 92, and North Melbourne at 106. So St Kilda clearly got a lot of youth there. That I don't think, I don't think they get a lot of credit for how much youth is coming through. They are a young team. I mean, mm-hmm. Gold Coast, Carlton are always, and Bulldogs are always seen as the younger teams. Saints have have a fair bit there, and they've been playing them this year. I'm with you. you. Sorry, even even got, even the Saints, the experienced players on the Saints list, they're not they're not old. 
Like, yeah, and they haven't played yeah. much football. No, that's true. And I think that if you do get some of those players that have been injured um, and whatnot throughout the year back next year, um, who, who knows? I mean, maybe maybe a, a fresh coaching change can see them jump up the ladder. Yeah. Uh, well, well, that's one to keep an eye on uh, for sure in the coming weeks, how uh, Brett Ratton fares as caretaker. But uh, our next topic for three on three, it's a talking point raised every now and then when uh, pundits and punters alike sort of want to delegitimize a team's run up the ladder. Um, so we thought we'd take a look at just how some of the AFL's best performing teams are actually performing against the top eight, if that makes sense. That does, does make that sense. Make yeah, sense? so like a, for a case in point, Brisbane's march up the ladder this year, a lot of people... Saying uh, they had a soft draw. Yeah, exactly right. So I think we, we wanted to find, it, uh, to find out from Christian whether there's any sort of legitimacy to uh, teams going up the ladder just because they've had a soft draw or vice versa as well. So Christian, where would you like That's to start? A, well, it's a good place to start with Brisbane. I mean, I won't give legitimacy to... I mean, I, I don't like the, the uh, commentary around, oh, they haven't beaten anyone. You can only beat who you play each week. So you, and also the fact that the AFL landscape, there's 17 competitive teams each, correct, each round, yeah. pretty how, much. How are we all going with the tipping exactly that? It's, it's, it's <laughs> not nice. that easy. So, But going back to Brisbane, they have. They've only had five games against the current top eight sides this year, which is the fewest of any team. Um, but yeah, they're three and two in those games. So at least they're better than 50% across those five games. Um, so sort of looking at that, so Geelong against top eight teams, they're the best. They're on top of the real ladder and they're on top of this versus top eight ladder. Uh, with six wins and one loss against the fellow so other that, seven I think teams that, in the top eight, that does show that the cats are legitimate. I guess with, with that, it, you don't want to read too much into these these sort of things. But I don't know why all season I've had this this thought that Geelong maybe aren't that good. Uh, but then you look at a table like that and you think, well, well, they're beating the best teams. Everyone, yeah. yeah, so maybe I've got a risk. And a lot of those came um, early in the season. Mm. So yeah, so they're six one. The next two best performing teams against top eight sides are Collingwood are four and two. And West Coast to a four and three, so the and three top, top three, teams top three on the ladder, yeah, right yeah. up there. So I sort of looked at um, the the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth teams this year at the moment. So that's Adelaide, Essendon, Port Adelaide, and Bulldogs. So sort of they're still all fighting for that probably last two positions in the top eight. And sort of looking at where how they fare against other top eight sides to sort of see you know which one would you know theoretically do the most damage in the final. So. Interestingly on that, Richmond come out the bottom of those four teams with a 2-4 record against top eight teams this year. But as we keep saying in the last, mm. week, in the last few weeks, just feels like they're getting better they're and better. The, as the, the Richmond we're on. seeing now is not the Richmond we saw yeah. eight weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so just above them, Essendon are two wins and five losses um, with a percentage of 81% against top eight sides. So that's one of the lowest of those four teams. So again, looking at um, Port Adelaide have a percentage of 97% against top, four, uh, top eight teams. Bulldogs at 92%, had Adelaide at 98%, and just looking at Essendon compared to those at 81%. So, again, played some good footy, um, won a few close games, but probably not getting the results against the top eight sides like the other teams around them are. So. Well, they've got an opportunity this this Friday night. I think they play Adelaide in it's Adelaide, which is, I think they're seventh and eighth on the ladder, um, only yeah. percentage between them. So, I mean, what better opportunity for the the Bombers to, to actually notch a top eight? And and with a gap, I think, to ninth, I think there's a, there's a game, a win to Plus ninth now, yeah. so the, you'd say the winner in that game is, you know, looking pretty good to play finals. The old cliche: it's an eight-point game. <laughs> it really is. It's on my you, list. Of you've it. been wanting to say that for the last twenty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I've been pointing at you. When can I get in? Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. Continue. <laughs> no, so I was just going to say, looking at the other end of the ladder, it's probably pretty obvious. Gold Coast have had seven team, uh, seven games against top eight teams this year, is zero and seven. Mm-hmm. The one that surprised me, I mean, Melbourne, they're zero and eight against top eight sides last year, so they were entrenched in that top eight last year, got to the prelim final haven't been able to get over the line once against the top eight side this year. So looking at them across the last yeah. two years, so looking at them this year versus the 
this year's top eight and last year versus last year's top eight and combining all those games, they're two wins and 14 losses in that time. So it's it's definitely something they've got to address is trying to beat those teams. So around. they're two and 14 against top eight sides last two years. Correct. That's pretty shocking. And mate, I don't know, I remember the, the first podcast we did, Jake, you questioned whether Melbourne might have, they had that one good season where they played their best football and, and I counter that by saying the fact that mm. Melbourne's got a lot of young talent that should really progress as a team together. Yeah, I didn't think Melbourne would get much better this year, but I obviously didn't think they'd be this poor. Yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, given the players they had, I, I kind of thought that that was their, their ceiling. They played well, but mm. so I don't think anyone expected them to be where they are at this point. So Christian's figures there, 2-14 and 14 against top eight, maybe points to the fact that they just got hot at the right time of year and, mm. and beat a couple of top eight teams um, towards the end of the season and then, and then the finals, and, and maybe... Maybe it's actually a sign that Melbourne's not nowhere near as good in terms yeah. of their list. I think those two wins off from memory are about round 21 and 23 against West Coast and right. Giants last year, so they're the only two. Just going the other way, Frio probably deserve a little bit of a pump up again. I think they're going the opposite way to Richmond. They might, may have hit a wall in recent weeks, probably not getting have the same results. A wall? They've, uh, they've crashed into a wall. <laughs> the airbags have gone crumpled. <laughs> no, I don't think they had airbags in, in that vehicle. <laughs> trying to be nice uh, but they were um, 0 and 10 against the top 8 size last year 3 and 5 this year so it shows that you know definitely that's where some of the improvements come from so sort of going back to those teams fighting it out for those last position or two in the 8 I mean going around the room are we confident uh, Who, which teams are we most confident in of making the finals I think the Bulldogs Geelong. will just fall <laughs> Geelong I think they might just squeak in uh, the dogs, the dogs are one game, but their percentage is so weak as well. So yes. they're almost two games out at the moment. I, I would imagine they might just fall short as well as much as they're playing decent footy. Agreed. Um, so I would imagine that. Can, will Essendon? Can they do it with their injuries and, and their lack of ruckman? And I think they can. I think they've kind of shown the last few weeks that they that they can. Wasn't that a big result against North? Because I Huge. I've got more confidence in North being a, maybe a better team than Essendon right now. But now they're two games out. It just and, puts that gap, and, and yeah. all of a sudden they can breathe. Obviously they they wouldn't want to lose this week because it tightens things up again. Mm. But do the Crows I, have enough? I kind of I, mean, I kind so of think questions. that the eight that we that we've got now is the eight that will play finals. I know the order will change a little bit, but um, for me it was probably going into this week it was Port might be in there instead of Adelaide but again you just they're just so inconsistent mm. alright uh, let's move on to our third topic for the day uh, it is the time of the year that uh, people start to look ahead to the trade period especially if like me your team is out of finals contention <laughs> so we've put our heads together in the pre-podcast meeting uh, and come up with a couple of left field trade ideas that might just work um, uh, the off-season. Neil, would you like to kick us off with your thinking? Yeah, I'm happy to. I, um, I was um, watching the, the Essendon-North Melbourne game on the weekend for work and I it just struck me quite randomly how well Essendon have played without Joe Danaher. They have had pretty much two seasons with, with no Danaher. I think last year he played seven games, this year he's played four and he hasn't played with any sort of power or fluency of that 2017 All-Australian season when he kicked uh, 60, 65 goals. goals. Yeah. And he looked like he was going to be the generational key forward with his height and his athleticism. Probably his only weakness was his kicking, but he looked like he might be sorting that out. So, And it just made me think, I wonder whether Essendon and Danaher might explore their opportunities at the end of the year. Um, I know that father-sons rarely move clubs, especially when you've got such a long, deep history um, of the Danaher name at Essendon. But taking aside that emotion... I wonder whether he would want a fresh start under a new medical team, and I wonder whether Essendon, who have traded out a lot of um, first-round picks in the last three years, might think we can we can win games without him. We might be able to secure something really really big for for someone that we that we can cope without. That's the key point, I think. The fact that they can still they still have a dynamic forward line mm. without Danaher, uh, and 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 
I mean, there are a few clubs that you could probably say could use a key forward, namely yeah. the Western Bulldogs, so for that, instance. That, that's, that's the team that popped into my mind. I thought the Doggies have been chasing a key forward for years, it seems, without too much success. They've thrown Aaron Norton forward, who looks fantastic. But if they got Danaher, they could either team him up with Norton and have a really scary uh, key mm. forward combination, or they can play Norton back in defence where he's probably better suited, and they do get picked apart a little bit in the back line as well. So, And how good's Norton been already? I mean... If that was to happen and they did persist with him as a forward alongside Danaher and mm. Danaher was able to stay healthy mm. and Norton got another couple of pre-seasons, a bit older, a bit more experienced, a bit stronger, he would be unbelievable as a number two. Takes yep. the pressure off, doesn't it? So my, my hypothetical, if you like, would be um, the Dogs giving up their first and second round picks. Um, so they've got, got about picks seven to ten this year and, and then in the second round, um, you know, if they can give both of those to the Bombers, I wonder whether the Bombers will be intrigued. Um, and just for a little bit of a reference, I'll, I'll try to think about a really highly talented young player who had injury issues um, for reference for a, for a hypothetical like this, and it's Jager O'Meara. So the Hawks mm. gave up pick 10 in a second round pick um, a few years ago when he was coming off all his leg injuries, and I think that gives a, a pretty reasonable frame of reference where someone like Danaher might, might... And Hawthorne's always been a club that's just always, if they want a man, they, they just will yeah. get it, and they will they'll might pay overs at times. Yeah. Uh, um, look, I mean, but they've got him healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the healthy, thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> risk. Uh, yep. I think you make a, made a good point earlier, which being, which was um, maybe he wants a fresh start medically because yep. you know, uh, I think in preseason we looked at Danaher and even when he was playing then and in the early parts of the year, he just didn't look right. Um, whether it was mismanagement or, or otherwise, you know, maybe a fresh start is best for both the Bombers uh, and and Danaher. Jake, do you have a hypothetical left field trade? Well, I do, but I don't think this is this is. A crazy one. I can kind of see um, the Danaher one potentially happening. You know, I think there's there's legs for that. This one might be a little bit over the top. We didn't but say left field, though. So. It's very left field. <laughs> um, the Crouch brothers, good players. They complement each other quite well because they play quite kind of different contrasting games. Brad's more inside. Matt's a little bit more outside. And they, they're, both, they're both good players. Um, but I just wonder where they, where they are at at the Crows right now and where the Crows are in terms of their premiership window and all that sort of stuff. I, I think they've kind of fallen down in the last couple of years, obviously. I wonder if it's worth sending those two to Gold Coast. I know it sounds crazy to go to the Gold Coast. Send those two players to the Gold Coast because they're not going to split up and they're not going to leave. They're going to stay together because they're brothers. And Gold Coast, in return, get... Um, get or give? Uh, sorry, give Adelaide pick one potentially the priority pick and don't forget Adelaide's going to get pick three Carlton's first pick in the draft um, with the trade last year Adelaide could get the top three picks in the draft gee that's tempting but and we know that Gold Coast had to pay overs um, for Lockie Weller a couple of years ago Absol- way overs yeah, yeah. so you, sad you get the in. feeling that if they do want players like the Crouch Brothers they would have to pay overs again so that's not yes yeah, it's left field but it's not too they're not, left they're field not, you know they're not Oh, they're young. They're young, both of them. Young, young. They're you know mid career, and they're not going to split hard bodies. up. Christian, I know you're pretty hot oh. on the two number or the two uh, players that could go one and two in the draft, though. So is it yeah. worth giving up the potential of those players? I mean, I look at it. It's it's if I'm Gold Coast, definitely. I'd I'd prefer the Crouches. Where Gold Coast are at now, they need two guys that can come in and play straight away. But looking at the first two picks of the draft, Raul and Anderson again, like. Probably even better than Crouch Brothers. They complement each other perfectly. Mm. Rao, very inside. Noah Anderson, you know, a bit more outside and pretty good kick, pretty good ball mover. But looking at it from Adelaide's point of view, that's a big, that's a, 
that's a big change to the club. That's almost going straight from, you know, at the moment they're sitting seventh to saying we're going to go to rebuilding stage next year. Oh, it, do, it two does best send, midfielders it does out. Give, yeah. Rory Sloan towards the end of his career. I mean, this is all hypotheticals. I know if Hugh Greenwood left as well, who's mm. also being toted about, mm. they're almost left with Rory Sloan and Cam Alice Yolman as their two midfielders, and then mm. they have to, you know, start again. So it, it makes a lot of sense for Gold Coast, just whether Adelaide would strip it right back. Like Maybe that. they can throw Bryce Gibbs in as well. <laughs> Package them all up. <laughs> the old steak knives. <laughs> <laughs> steak knives, another one of my uh, footyisms. Hey, I got one for you, and tell me who says no to this trade, apart from maybe the player himself. Buddy goes to the Gold Coast. I meant the location. Goes to the yeah. Gold Coast to play for Goes the Suns. Goes up to the Gold Coast. Because uh, Sydney uh, are probably... The, the contract has still got two or three years to go. 2020, I think. Yep. So, uh, uh, look, you know, the, the Swans are already looking towards um, the future with sort of McCartan and Blakey. They're, not, they're playing without Buddy at the moment. Reed's doing a decent job. What if the Suns took over that contract? Well, I reckon you'd have to get a little bit under the table because I don't know if I'd want to be going there. I know he's heading towards the end of his career, but gee. It would be exciting for the Suns to yeah. have a marquee player because half the Suns' battle is, I guess, marking their territory in, in rugby league and, and rugby but heartland. Gary Ablett. And I know we say Gary Ablett might not have been the greatest face. He's a quiet and, you know, he doesn't sort of... Correct. He's, he's not inspiring yep. his teammates, but they had maybe the greatest player of all time and... You know that and, didn't really help but, them. But Buddy has X factor. He has, Buddy, he has Buddy, drawing power. We, I think we debated a couple of weeks ago whether the Buddy to the Swans move was a success or not without him winning a flag. And, and there's a lot of um, really fair enough um, conversations about how many extra bums on seats he's put on um, the sponsorship and commercial side of things. So mm. that would help the Suns for sure. Your concern would be the fact that Buddy's injured towards the end of his career and might go up there for a retirement fund and, and maybe not put in culturally, but. Hypothetically, if that all went ahead, what would he be worth on on the table? What would the Suns have to give up? Well, you wonder. I mean, if if Sydney are keen to get out of that contract, for instance, they might be willing to take you know a second round pick, kind of like what isn't kind of like what what Hawthorne did with their older players when when they sort of shipped them off. They just said, "Oh, give us some state knives." Um, Wasn't Mitchell like they got like. Seventy-two or something. Yeah. Yeah. something yeah. Stupid, yeah. Ridiculous. So, so Swans will be happy to accept less just to rid themselves oh, of that salary. Wouldn't be the worst uh, list management move for the for the Swans to make, and and clearly Gold Coast, even though Buddy's um, getting on, would would be happy to take him. I, I dare say it's just a matter of whether Buddy would want to move. <laughs> Christian, have you got one for us? Um, so mine comes a bit full circle. So I was looking at um, another Bulldogs player, but going the other way. So Bulldogs are looking pretty strong and stacked at. Um, Half-back at the moment with players like Bailey Williams, Caleb Daniel, Hayden Crozier is going quite well, Taylor Jurey has come from Hawthorne. So why not uh, dangle their biggest one, Jason Johannesson, out there and try to get a key forward or a power forward that way. Um, you Norm know, Smith two, medalist. Two or three years removed from winning a Norm Smith medal. Um, so again, Johannesson for Danaher might make sense for Bulldogs-wise, but I don't think Essendon need No, they're Johannesson. pretty stacked at half-back yeah. too. Exactly. So looking at a team that needs Johannesson, it's Melbourne. I'd love Again, him in the D's. Yeah. Melbourne probably don't have a key forward to, to push up. But I think one guy that sort of uh, goes under the radar of how good he could be still, Christian Petrarca, um, putting him into the Bulldogs forward line and have him play that Jack Gunston sort of hybrid role mm-hmm. and then have Norton or Shacky hopefully come along alongside him. Would you buy to that? For both clubs. Jesus. As a Melbourne supporter? I, my, He's the kind of guy that would go and become an absolute superstar. <laughs> Petrarca. And just, yeah. 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 He's got the ability. He's actually had a probably... An underrated season. I think he was number one for ground ball gets yeah, at one I think point he's in, in the still season. Still up there. I, yeah, I haven't looked after this weekend, but he'd still be right. But up Joe Hannison is is exactly what Melbourne needs as well. That halfback dash, um, need a line breaker. 
Yes. What about your first round pick for Johannesson and then something going coming back? Which might be pick four the, or something like that. Could be pick four and then something else coming back from the dogs maybe. I'd, I'd rather give up a high pick than, than a tracker, yeah. I think, at this Sort point. of putting on my Bulldogs hat too. I wouldn't be giving them up for a draft pick or anything. I'd be going, I, I want a key for But then you now. could ship that pick to uh, Correct. If, if you could, Yeah, mm. if you could work it out that way. Another one I sort of threw up to um, maybe have a look at is Johannesson, WA boy. Josh Kennedy coming across to help the Bulldogs for a couple of years, plus yeah, Barry a pick, Hall kind of role, plus mm. a second or third round pick for the age gap thing. But um, yeah, I mean Jack Darling looks like he's, he's capable of being a number one forward for West Coast. Certainly does. Yeah. looking nice. What about Josh Kennedy to the Suns in his twilight career? Oh, you just, you I, just I want mean, everyone to the Suns. <laughs> they <laughs> they do, have the they need a lot of brothers, help. Buddy. They need help, don't they? <laughs> they do need a lot of help. They'll be flag favourites at this rate. <laughs> It's always good to talk trades at any point in the year, um, even though with so much on-field and off-field action right now, everyone's always starting to look ahead to the, the trade trade period, so always enjoyable to look at these sort of things. Well, uh, food for thought, if nothing else. How about stat with Champion Data? Meters gained. Explained. Uh, it's an in-vogue stat, but uh, just what does it mean exactly? Sort of contrary to popular belief, there is more than one stat that falls under the meters gained umbrella. Uh, so we thought we'd uh, get Christian to help us help walk us through it. Uh, there are a couple of stats that quite interest me. I know Jake as well is assisted meters gained, uh, net meters gained. Can you help us out, Christian? Yep. Uh, so we'll start with what is meters gained. So definition first. How do we calculate it? So it's basically possession to possession. So if I get the ball, um, run and run five meters, kick it ten meters forward, and it's marked. I get the whole 15 metres gain. So we sort of call that kick metres. So we sort of look at if you run and kick it, that's how many metres you've got from your kick. And if you run and handball it, that's how many metres you've got from your handball. Um, obviously, it works positive and negative. So it works looking at how much closer you got to your own goal. So if you kick the ball 50 metres backwards, you will get negative 50 metres gained for the game. So I don't think a lot of people realise that we do sort of count negative metres gained. Um, and the other way to look at it is, yeah, you've got to be advancing towards your goal line. So there is, aesthetically, you can look at a game of football and see a guy kick from the centre circle, kick directly out to the wing and think, all right, that's probably one metre gain or two metres gain because it's gone a little bit forward. That could actually be negative 15 metres gain because you've gone from directly in front of goal from the middle out to a fat wing or something. Is and that you've actually right? gone further away. So, so it's point to like the goal line. Correct, from, yeah. yeah, from the goal line, basically the middle of the goals and draw a straight line out. So that's how it's calculated. Um, again, it's... It's very heavily used at player level, um, and, but teams would be using it at team level as well. So mm. just looking at team sort of level stuff, again, talking about most metres gained per kick, so which teams are sort of, you know, moving the ball most with kicks um, across the season. So Frio's number one in that stat, 26.6 metres per kick they gain. Uh, down the other end is GWS at 23.8. So not huge gap between yeah. first and last. Um, most teams are sort of going to have you know, the same amount of sort of backwards and lateral kicks and long kicks, short kicks across the game. So across the season, yeah, three or four metres uh, different per, per disposal between first and 18th. But it's looking at handball in isolation that you really start to see some uh, signatures from different teams. Um, and the biggest one of that is is Richmond's run and handball game has just been uh, well above and beyond everyone else for the last three or four years. So does there, when you say run and handball... Does that count towards their handball metres gain stat when they're running five Correct. and then handballing five? Correct. So we don't sort of break it down into how much you've run and how much the disposal went. It's just when you handballed the ball, how much did you gain from where you got the ball from? So looking at Richmond, they gain 477 metres per game from their handballs. The next most is Melbourne at 241 metres per game. So, so an enormous they're gain. double 
pretty, they're effectively double the number two team. Correct. Wow. Yeah. So and it's something I think you know. There's a lot of stats sometimes you bring in, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that, or I couldn't, I, don't, I can't tell when I watch. But I, but you can tell yeah. when you watch Richmond yeah. play. But that to that's... that to that extent, is is Douglas so Douglas the, the next best forward. team? They, they play with four or five really quick ground level um, mm. forwards, and they obviously just want to get the ball as yeah, forward as quickly forward. as possible. Yeah. And you look at again, I haven't I haven't got the na- list of names in front of me, but I know Shane Edwards, Sydney Stack are very high in that stat in sort of getting the ball and sort of attacking handballs. Uh, going forward, so again, hmm. they're at the top of the tree, so they get 3.1 meters per handball. Uh, the next most is 1.6, so again, it's almost yeah. double per handball that they're getting. But going all the way to the bottom, uh, West Coast are actually at negative 0.2 <laughs> meters, you know, per handball. So they're happy to spread away from a contest. Correct. So from all of their handballs this year, they've actually lost 200 or so meters. So they go total. backwards with hands and then they Forward sort of kick. Yeah, kick. And, yeah. Then, and then you think of their kick and ham- kick and mark sort of style yeah. game. Well, they're obviously yeah. less pressure on the on the ball carrier when it gets out the chain. If yeah. they've got a third or fourth player in the chain who can then have enough space yeah. to look down the ground and kick. And you can picture mm. almost the two or three guys that are at the back of that chain are Lewis Jetter and Shannon Hearn, two, mm-hmm. of the, two of the best and most devastating ball users in the competition. So again, looking at team level sort of stuff, it's, it's not a lot... In kick meters, but in handball meters, you can really get a sense of, all right, what are these teams trying to do? Um, and as I said, Richmond have been on top of that stat for three years now. Melbourne were high last year, took it to sort of an, an, another level this year, but it's still, you know, 50% of what Richmond are doing. So mm. Richmond have nailed that. Another way you can sort of use meters game from a team level is looking at starting chains in the defensive 50 and what you gain. So the, the most simple one is from a kick-in. So West Coast get 83 meters gained per kick-in. So that's the chain of play. So that's them either starting with a long kick up, take a mark and, you know, handball, and, and they either lose possession or a stoppage happens 83 metres away from the opposition goal. So, so they're number one. Um, and last in that is Essendon. So they're only getting 72 metres per kick-in. So a bit of difference. Um, but again, it comes back to Richmond. So Richmond from kick-ins are third last, 75.9 metres per kick-in. But what they do do well is sort of if they intercept the ball in the defensive 50, they gain 57 metres from their next chain, which is number one. Mm. If they win a clearance in their defensive 50, they get 59 metres from that stoppage, which is number one. So they're off the race as soon as the ball switches hands. Correct. So again, looking at Richmond, they were sort of, um, compared to other top teams, they, they conceded slightly more inside 50s and disposals to the other team. Mm-hmm. But that's all right because you sort of, you know, you're drawing the ball to your end of the you know the opposition's end of the field for you to sort of counter attack and, yeah, so and go fast and exactly with playing with one key forward you like to keep your your um forward line open for castanias and butlers and higgins and all that to run into goal so Stacks. yeah so <laughs> it's really interesting on. <laughs> i don't know whether i'm alone here but the thought of meters gained it was very much an individual stat i've never really thought about it in terms of team by team i've yeah. always thought about player x has gone bananas and got 800 mm. meters game it says a lot about a team style of play i mean it you does. richmond yeah. and west coast chalk and cheese really yep. and then it goes on top of that again i haven't got the numbers in front of you but what teams will be doing is going all right richmond are gaining 59 meters from that clearance but when we get the ball back how many meters are we are we getting and then work it out so if richmond are gaining 59 meters per clearance but when they turn it over the other team's getting 49 meters back on them Richmond would look at that and go, we're only actually plus 10 metres from defensive 50 clearances. Every team would have different ways of measuring it, but it is, it's measuring chain to chain to chain and actually going, how much value are we getting when we kick and handball and how much are we gaining when we lose when we lose possession? How much are we losing territory back? It's this never-ending battle. You see some of the club's um, reports that they look at on game day and they're looking at how many metres gain did we get from a clearance that came from an intercept that came from... A defensive fifty chain. So like it's just there's so many sort of parameters they put on a stat to, to sort of really drill down the game going, all right, when the ball is in this part of the field, how do we go? But also how well do we defend the ball once we lose possession so of it? So basically when someone says, Oh, you don't get a stat for that, it's <laughs> 
There's always, there's, always a stat, there's always a stat for something. <laughs> well, we debunked that a few, a few weeks ago, I remember. So, um, so if you're looking more at individually then, I mean, yep. obviously we... I think you, you said it, Neil, and I agree with you, is that I always thought that Meter's game was a very sort of a personal thing, um, player-by-player case, but it's not uh, basis, but it's not the case. Um, who are the, the leaders, I guess, for Meter's gained across the league? Yep, so leaders this year, Jake Lloyd is getting 547 metres per game, number one. No Daniel Rich, 523. Stop me if you pick out the theme here. Brody <laughs> Smith, 523. Nick Newman, 520. Basha Hooley, 506. Um, and I think Hearn was the next one. I haven't got his figure written down. I think he was about 495 or so. So what they all have in common, they're all general defenders. So it's obviously... General defenders. Again, they've got the most space in front of them as well. Um, You you know, if you're a general forward, you're winning the ball from 60 metres out in front of goal and trying to get it to 30 metres out, whereas general defenders are clearly, you know, take ground and get the ball and sort of get it out of the back line. So just um, sort of going on top of that, let's sort of break it down by position. So instead of giving you just seven general defenders' names, I've actually looked at each position and who's leading the metres gain. Um, so in the ruck position, it's actually the two Melbourne players. Braden Proust is getting 280 metres per Proust game. Get it on the boot. Um, <laughs> he's only played the four games, though. But second is Max Gorn, who gets 252 metres per game. So he actually gets more metres per game from his... And this is only disposal. This isn't... that You don't get metres game from a hit out. Yep. So he's actually getting more metres per game than Brody Grundy, which surprised me. Mm. I guess but Grundy gets sort of in and under and handles Correct. I think more. that's why. I think, I think so Gorn, Gorn takes more marks and maybe and this goes back and kicks has it. Has those set kicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. So... Key defenders, um, Rampy's number one for metres game for a key defender, Hurley second and Stephen May third. Uh, key forwards, the one that surprised me, number one key forward for metres game this year, Brody Majacek, and I think we spoke about him four weeks ago about how much he does push up the field to find the ball. Yeah, I, I've noticed that probably, I think, not so much um, in the win over West Coast, he was he spent a little bit more time closer to goal, but I think he, he was, he does push up, you see him on the wing quite a bit. Especially when they play the three tools, he, he was the one that pushed up. Well, yeah, so he'll push up and then they'll sort of leave Dugowie or Elliot when he's fit or Stevenson when he's there and they just sort of, they kind of, they just, they do mix that forward line up a lot. Yeah. And and second to him is Jack Gunston who plays a very similar role to Hawthorne. You can find him starting on the wing at some centre bounces. General forward, the metres game leaders are Gary Ablett, um, who's, you know, absolute yep. star in that position. And the second one, a name I brought up a few weeks ago, Sam Lloyd at the Bulldogs. He keeps doing it. He's, he's very much a... Great he comes up, He's a great statistical yeah. sort of footballer when you go through his numbers. He's very good. Um, your centre bounce midfielders, Bonson Pally's your number one metres game player there. Off the wing, Brad Hill's number one, Ricky Henderson closely second. And your mid forwards are Patrick Dangerfield and Dustin Martin, um, the two. No surprises you know, with those exactly, two. Exactly. Basically, yeah. you get the ball and can get your 60 metres very quickly. Um, so that's your raw metres game players. So what we also have... Oh, on- Jake's smiling. He's been waiting for this stat for a, like a few weeks now. This is something me- that you, you are rubbing your hands together with this stat. Well, it's something so you mentioned like in the this. office a lot. On top of this is... Assisted meters gain. So, oh no, that's not even the one. Is this, oh, you want? Well, no, no, you, I do. You like all, both, don't you? But he's all about effective meters. I'm gain. effective well, because what's sixty meters if you turn it over? I like point. effective and I like assisted. Well, there's more. We have got effective meters gain and assisted meters. Yeah. Well, meters okay. We'll, we'll, we'll um, appease Jake and we'll go <laughs> yeah. with the effective meters gain. <laughs> but um, so number one for effective meters gain is Daniel Rich. And what is effective meters? Four hundred thirty. That, that so that's basically. Um, yeah. Well, it doesn't have to find a teammate exactly, but an effective kick. So if you have a kick long. Um, to a one-on-one in your forward line, Hipwood versus his defender, and he gets sport out of bounds, you'll still get an effective kick for that because right. you, you sort of put on a team hat and go, team rules is if you're going to go 50 metres down the line to a one-on-one, that's a Got good it. kick. So it's not straight out retained possession, but it is exactly that. You haven't turned the ball over. You at least got it to a 50-50, if not better. So sorry, I interrupted you there. Who was number one? So Daniel Rich is number one at 430, um, and he's second for metres gained anyway. Jake Lloyd's second for effective metres gained, 421, and he's first for raw metres gained. So the first one that sort of jumps out is um, Shannon Hearn, 
So I actually had his name written down as fifth or seventh or something in the metres gained. That was completely wrong. I wrote his name down just for this point. So 396 effective metres gained puts him third for effective metres gained. Total metres gained, he's 20th. So again, he doesn't waste the ball. He's got mm. 459 effective metres gained per game. Sorry, 459 total metres gained per game. 396 of those effective. So one so long kick might be ineffective. Correct. He's wasting, you know, 60 in metres 63 metres per game. That's incredible. Um, so the second most efficient sort of of the top 100 metres game player, Dane Rampey, he's 453 for total metres game, 383 for effective. So, you know, only 69 difference there. Uh, Luke Ryan's third, and then Jason Johannesson, uh, Melbourne's new recruit, is fourth. So uh, he's at 440 metres gain for 360 effective. Um, and then going the other way, so looking at the guys that are in the top 100 for metres gain, but probably not as well for effective metres gain. Again, this is where these these are pretty these names are pretty obvious when you start to look at their style of game. They're, they're basically getting the ball. Hacking it. Hacking it forward, <laughs> getting a lot of things, but they've got blokes hanging off them the whole time. Yeah. So number one... Um, Biggest differential is Luke Shuey. So he's at 479 metres gain per game. Only 262 are effective. So 217 difference there. Um, and third, second, third and fourth, Marcus Bontempelli, Josh Kelly, Patrick Dangerfield. So the blokes that are... You have blokes get, hanging off them. Correct. Yeah. But you, you're still going to get 50 metres out of a stoppage from those guys. So, so what about assisted metres gained? Yep. So looking at... Um, well, so and, what, sorry, sorry to, to clarify, what is is that getting a hand pass out to someone who can then kick it? Correct. 50 so we measure how much meters gain you get from your possession to the next possession, but we can also look at all right if you got the ball to an uncontested player, or even if they take a contested mark, who you pass the ball to, how many meters gain did they get? So who are you actually setting up to, um, you know, to sort of cre- uh, create play for your team? So the number one stat, uh, number one player in this stat, is probably no surprises, and I can see Jake smiling already. <laughs> Lockie Neal. So Lockie Neal's at 426 assisted metres gained per game. So looking at raw metres gained for Lockie Neal, number one for disposals. Everyone says, well, how much does it hurt you? And if they wanted to quote the number, they'd say he only ranks 104th for metres yeah. gained this year. So he doesn't hurt you much. Yeah. Turn around and say so to the guy... So it's not the be-all and end-all, metres correct, gained. Because the guy he's giving it to is getting 426 metres per game. Getting it to Daniel Rich or... McCluggage like or... McCluggage. Not even in the top 100 in the league for metres gained, yet he's the number one for a setting up players for metres gained. Correct. So what we can do is... That's, that's an unsung hero yep. right there. So we take it to... I'll stop talking about Jake. Sort of, sort of, you know, take it to the next level. <laughs> And combine those two stats. So your meters gained with your assisted meters gained. Uh, so Jake Lloyd finishes number one in that. 916 net meters per game he's getting either from himself or the next one. But this is where Lockie Neal comes second. So he's at 821. Uh, sorry. He's, sorry, Lockie Neal's fifth at 760 meters per game. So that gets him from 104th for raw meters gained mm. up to fifth when you actually combine what's happening next. And it makes sense because, I mean, those accumul- not accumulators, those guys that can win the footy, they don't have to be the ones you know, breaking out of congestion and, and kicking it forward, uh, forward 50 metres. If he can get it out to someone on, on his outside, mm. that's just as effective, isn't it? Absolutely. Just hey, we do need to move on, but very quickly, do you have any quirky stats about metres gained in games that uh, might interest yeah, well, our Yeah, I found two. I'll, gi- I'll give you the one that happened this year. So um, probably one of, the most, one of the best individual performances this year was Patrick Cripps against the Bulldogs in round five. It certainly was. Um, I think he kicked four goals in the second half, if not the last quarter. Water on its own. Second half. Play yeah. safe. Um, but yeah, 37 disposals for 83 or 84 metres gained if you round up. That is the most disposals to not reach 100 metres gained in a game. Just goes to show it's not the be-all and end-all. But yeah. my God, was he, he was his so effective. Yeah. He was so important and influential. 
it felt like he had a thousand meters gained the way yeah. he just controlled that game. But has, mm. has anyone ever had negative meters gained for? A, yeah, so the biggest. Surely not. The, well, <laughs> the biggest game I found was uh, Jack Watts twenty-seven disposals for negative thirty-four meters gained. Yeah, so amazing. that was back. Always looking behind him. Yeah, well, yeah. he was, he was two thousand and ten. He was playing Off. forward, so I think that's coming up sort of as a lead-up forward, getting Hand the ball with your someone. back to goal. Yeah, yeah and handballing, and you know. Nice. Um, again, yeah, haven't looked at all of his disposals from that game, but uh, yeah, picture a lot of them would be uh, flicking out to someone. I reckon that's one of the best away. how about stat segments we've had uh, all year. Absolutely, and I think it shines a light on a on a stat that not a lot of people know. Understand? Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, they know, but they don't quite understand. And, yep. and like you said, Cripps can have eighty-seven meters game, but he'll be the best player on the ground. So mm. it's not the be-all and end-all. Hey, it's time for my favourite segment. I've had a gutful. Jake, uh, I'll just let you get straight into it because we are running short on time. What have you had a gutful of this week? Ken Hinckley. <laughs> <laughs> Pack it up. Short and sharp. That's it. During the week, <laughs> he said that we back our midfield to beat any other midfield. And they came up against Brisbane. They didn't back their midfield to beat Brisbane. They didn't at all. They went and they put so much time into the man you just spoke about, Lockie Neal. They brought in a, an ex-teammate in Cam Sutcliffe to, to just harass him all game long. And he wasn't the only one. They, every player on that team was coming up to him, whacking him, trying to put him on the ground. Just It, it was just... It was way over the top, and it just went against everything he said and everything he believed in, and it, show, it almost showed that he didn't have faith in his team to just win it on merit anyway. Now, I said earlier in the year that that I'm all for taggers. I think there's a place in football for taggers. I really do. Um, when Matt DeBoer did a really good job on Dustin Martin earlier in the year, I, I said that, and, I, and um, I, I fully stand by that opinion. But there's a difference between putting body on and making it a little bit difficult at a contest for a, for a player to get the ball... That's one thing. That's fine. But when you're constantly hitting someone off the ball, when they're running to the bench, you're just double-teaming them 50 metres off the ball, hitting them non-stop. That's a shocking look. I hate seeing that for any player, and no player should should have to go through that. Oh, I think the best part of that, I agree with all everything you said. I think the thing that sort of shoved it in Port Adelaide's face is Brisbane kicked the first seven goals of well, that Well, that was game. it. And it was over by quarter time, and they'd shot themselves in the foot. It's like, okay, we back our midfield. We've got all these strong body, big body bulls in there. And it was like, before you know it, okay, they put all this attention into Neil, and it backfired because Brisbane had that hot start. And at the end of the game, guess who finished with more contested possessions and more clearances than anyone on the ground? It was still Neil. Port, Port embarrassed themselves with that performance and Hinkley um, to a, an extent as well with his pre-game comments saying that they're going to really target Oh, with a smirk on his face as well. With a smirk on his face. But that's... that's that's not tough footy. Um, trying to hit someone off the ball, you know, 50 metres away, that's not tough footy, and that's not what no. finals are won. The on. AFL also said they'd crack down on it at the start of the year. Michael Christian said that tummy taps and all that um, would, would not stand... The Ben Cunnington rule. Well, yeah, no, well, we've rule. seen how many... We've Why, seen Ben Cunnington four kick. or five times. Neil wasn't paid a no, free kick. and he wasn't. And, and he yeah. copped it all game long. And again, it's not about Neil. Obviously, I don't know, we have fun. Like, I, I do like Lockie Neil. He's a great player. But it's anyone. I don't want to see any player have to do that, because I don't think... Damien Hardwick said when, when Martin was tagged by DeBoer, he said, "Let we want to see the best players play. Now, I agree with that. Everyone wants to see the, the stars play. But there's going to be times where you put a bit more attention in and, and try to stop them. That wasn't the right way of doing it. I don't think that's what we want to see in the game week in, week out, where players are just getting hit constantly off the ball. You know, it's like the Stratton thing with the pinching. People mm. hated that. Mm-hmm. You know, what, how's punching someone and hitting someone and whacking someone any different? I, I just don't like seeing that off the ball. Agree, cool. disagree? Let us know on Twitter at Footy Tips, uh, but we do need to move on. And the three votes goes to... I'm going to stick with the same game as you, Jake. Uh, I reckon the three votes goes to Mitch Robinson. Oh, I thought you were going to say Cam Sutcliffe. For a <laughs> <second>. <laughs> no, no, but uh, Mitch Robinson coming to Neil's defence uh, with Cam Sutcliffe as he was running to the bench was just... Isn't he a bloke you just want on your team? And you just... 
every team needs a Mitch Robinson. Yep. He, he is right there in the trenches with you. He will go his hardest. He'll give all every every day of the week. And he's been such an underrated pickup for the Lions. And three votes, Mitch Robinson. And also the fact that I think he's he's, he's changed his game from being an, an aggressor and a like an intimidator for a young team. He's still got that edge, but he's just playing great footy as well. So he's found that balance really nicely. He's an important spot member on. of the team. Yeah, spot on. He has, and he because you don't want him to lose that. You don't want him to lose that hard, no. real competitive. You know, it's funny they all, pe- commentators say all the time, "Oh, he's as hard as a cat's head." But it's like he he is. Like <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to be running into him no. if I if I was a player and I saw him coming towards me, I would be flinching. <laughs> and we we sort of spoke about him a few weeks ago. Is he's he's playing more off the wing this year, but he he doesn't look like any other wingman in terms of he gets in tackles, wins contested mm-hmm. possessions. So they're not sort of giving him a spot at the centre bounce, but they're playing him like an inside mid. He compliments mm-hmm. the elite ball users like. Your McCluggages and, and your Zorkos to an extent as well. Like, you, yeah. uh, without sounding sort of disparaging to him, you can kind of carry a bloke who loves to blast away at the contest a bit mm-hmm. more when you have those sort of elite ball users. And he's just the perfect fit for the Lions and um, has had an exceptional year. Um, we are here for footytips.com.au where you can tip against family and friends. Uh, my year's not going too well. But, Neil, I know you've got some <laughs> interesting stats about which teams are overrated and underrated by the tipsters. Yeah, that's right. So, um, just looking ahead at lo- looking back at the teams that every that every um, the, the punters have backed and, and, and haven't backed this year. So this is a little bit more of a difficult one to explain. But looking at the teams that have been tipped on average and how many wins and losses that they've produced. So, for example, the, the, most, the biggest burners of tips, if you like, are GWS and Collingwood. So the Giants have been on average tipped 12 times this year by punters. And, on, and they've only notched up nine nine victories. So everyone's so we backing, overrate the Giants. We overrate the Giants. So everyone just thinks, oh, yeah, the Giants will win. We'll mark that down. But, but more often than, than any other team, they actually lose. Um, and similar with the Magpies as well. A lot, a lot of people just mark them down as a win. But, they, but more often than not, more, more, more than any other team, they've actually come up short. So um, that's just an interesting way to, to maybe think about it. Don't just put the teams down that you think are going to win every week. Actually, look at who, who look at them with a bit more analysis. Um, and down the other end of the ladder is the teams that no one really backs, but they more often than not get the job done. So the two that that spring to mind here are North Melbourne and, and the Western Bulldogs are the yep. teams that no one's backing, Fair. but they're actually surprising if you, if you especially in recent weeks. Both yeah, of those exactly. Um, so yeah, maybe consider North and the Bulldogs this week. Well. I think I might be tipping a couple of those. Hey, we're going to have to wrap this up very shortly, so I'm going to go around the room with some one-word answers if you can, Jake. A certainty and an upset for this week, please. Certainty is Carlton to beat the Suns, um, and an upset, right now Collingwood's the outsider to beat the Giants, who have injuries, and Collingwood had a nice win, so I'll go Collingwood. Christian? Uh, Certainty, Geelong over Hawthorne. Upset. Sort of Port Adelaide. They're back to their win-loss sequence, aren't they? <laughs> up and down, Due up for and a win. down. Well, we'll be aware of the Tigers. Neil? Uh, I, I, I think the, the Saints could be an upset against the Dogs just for the bounce-back factor. They've got the, the new point. coach, and we, you see that more often than not, the fact that they will actually find a way to win. Um, so I reckon the Saints could actually defy their recent months in, in, in the L column. Um, and I think the certainties will be Richmond against Port. I think the Tigers are just absolutely storming home. Yeah, I agree with you. I think my certainty is Richmond and my upset is Gold Coast over the Blues. They Ooh. always play well at Marble Stadium against the Blues. So we'll see how we go. Hey, um, don't forget to rate and subscribe uh, and we will speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.